Church. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here. And this is Betsy, one of our pastors. We're team preaching tonight on God's abounding love. So if you just joined us, we're working through this uh, beautiful revelation of God where he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So we've looked at God's compassion, God's grace, God's patience. And tonight we're going to dwell on this one word, which is love. Love. Love is something that we all crave, isn't it? We all long to be loved. We long to hear the words, I love you. And we crave not just to hear words, but we, we crave to experience love in action. That's what it means to be human, to be loved. And when you don't feel loved, you grieve it, you ache it. Uh, Moulin Rouge says the, uh, the greatest thing is to love another and to be loved in return. That's what we want, that's what we need, to be loved. But the question is, what, what is love? What exactly is love? It's a question that's perplexed philosophers and poets and theologians and thespians all down the ages. What is love? What is love? How would you answer that? Here's some answers from some kids. What some kids said. Rebecca, aged eight, that's quite profound. Uh, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So now my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That, for me, is love. Danny, aged seven. Love is when my mummy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is absolutely perfect for him. That is love. <laughs> Noel, age seven. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. <laughs> this is really sweet. Billy, age four. It's quite profound. Uh, age four. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Or Elaine, age five, love is when mummy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. <laughs> now, for my own life, love is the exhausted father I know who drives through the night yet again to bail out his drug-addicted son from jail for the tenth time. That is love. Love is the tired mother who every day for 21 years, every Every day for 21 years has spoon-fed her severely disabled son who is now 21 and is strong and violent and vicious towards her but every day she still feeds him that is love and love is Reg and Doris who've been married for 62 years the highs and lows of life it hasn't been played so but they're just devoted to each other that is love what is love it's that commitment, it's that devotion, it's that dedication. But love it is a beautiful word, and we, we take this beautiful word called love out, we just make it so bland. I was thinking where I've used the word love this week. Just in the last week, I, I've said these words, I love running. I love tuna. I love chocolate. I love the beach. I love my wife. I love God. And we just use love as this junk drawer word for all these different things that we kind of like. 
as though God and my wife and Tuna and running are the same, on the same level. Or we make love this purely emotional word. And so love just becomes what we feel. That deep-seated affection that makes you feel squidgy and nice inside, because that is love, isn't it? Just a feeling. Or, or we call love something that you fall in. You fall into love, and then you fall out of love, and we turn love into this fleeting, fickle kind of word. And here's the problem. We, we, we use all these different ways to express love, and then when you read your Bible, and you open your Bible, and it says things like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Or, or 1 John 4, this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son. And we hear that word love in the Bible, and we kind of import all of our human attitudes towards love into that. As though God's love for us is fickle and fleeting. As though God's love for us is just a feeling. Uh, God's love is, is way, way, way deeper and more profound than that. See, see, God doesn't just show us he loves us. God is love. Love isn't just something that God does. Love is something that God is. His very essence, his very being is, is love. And that's what we're unpacking tonight. God's abounding love. God's steadfast love. God's devoted love. God's dedicated love. God's constant love. And the Hebrew word is hesed, or if you're Afrikaans, it's kind of hesed. And that's the word that you've got tattoos on your left wrist. Yes. So this was not the first tattoo I ever got, but it was the first tattoo I ever wanted. Um, and it just took me a while to get it. And the reason it took me a while is because I, as I started to understand this word, I really wanted to understand it. And I made a goal for myself that I would, I actually made a, a set of go, a goal of like, when I, I thought I grasped it is when I could tattoo it. So it started about 10 to 12 years ago. I read a blog, and that's the, the words on the screen. That's what hesed looks like in Hebrew. I read a blog that was talking about this word. And the author made a point that in Hebrew, the word hesed is often translated to love but it has no English equivalent. And there's actually a big gap in the translation, and it's actually much richer. That it is almost as if God's love is bigger and broader and more beautiful than we could even imagine. It's almost as if God's word, or God's love, can't even be put into words in English. And that revelation changed my life. See, I began to see God's love in a different way. And our hope for you tonight is that you would just get a glimpse of God's love for you. That when the Bible says he abounds in love, that as Ephesians says, that you would understand how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God for you. We're going to do a little word study. You're going to geek out with me as we look at this Hebrew word hesed throughout the Old Testament. And we're going to unpack it and just see what God means when he says he loves us. And I want you to understand what it means that God abounds in love towards you. So now this word hesed, as I said, it means so much more than just our understanding of the definition of the word love in English. 
It's actually better translated with multiple words. Sometimes it's translated God's steadfast love. Sometimes his loyal or devoted love. And sometimes it's even translated in mercy or grace or faithfulness. It's all of those words combined in the act of loving. So it sounds like all of God's character wrapped up in loving you. It is God's love for God's people bound by a covenant. And see, in this time, covenants were a big deal. So the word covenant actually comes from the word cut. And a lot of times when they would make a covenant with someone that would end up being cutting an animal. And essentially the covenant said, if I break this covenant, may I be like this animal. I would rather you cut me in two than me break this covenant. And we have contracts. We say marriage vows. You sign a contract at work. Um, I don't think when you sign your contract for your boss, you're thinking, may I be cut in two or keep this job? (laughs) And if you think back just into last term, when we were doing the Master Storyteller series, we learned that God made a covenant with Abraham to create his people. He promises Abraham that he will be a God of many na- or he'll be a father of many nations. And when we look in Genesis at the covenant that God makes, he tore, if you remember the story, he tore an animal in two, and the Lord's presence passes through those animals to secure that covenant. And you know what, what Abraham is doing during the whole time? He's sleeping. So it's almost as if God was saying, you don't have to do anything to keep this covenant. This covenant is me acting. I'm the one keeping the covenant. It's not because of anything you have to do. It's only because of what I will do. That's hesed. That's how God has promised to love you. It's not fickle. It's not based on emotion. It's not even just based on duty. It's not because he has to. He delights in you, he chose you, and he commits to you. So let's look back at our verse in Exodus. That's our central verse for this term, Exodus 34, 6. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in hesed, and faithfulness. God is saying that he loves his people with an overflowing, everlasting, devoted love. That's just who he is and how he is describing himself to Moses. But if we put that verse in context, it means even a little bit more. Because you know what? This is Exodus 34. You know what happens in Exodus 32? If you've been in church, you may remember a little story where Moses goes up to the mountain to encounter God. Get the Ten Commandments, has this whole thing. The people get bored and restless, and they gather all of their gold, and they melt it, and they make a golden calf and start worshiping another god. They get fickle. They get fleeting. They turn their back and start to worship an idol. And you know what God says? I am abounding in love to you. He holds the covenant just two chapters later where he reaffirms to them that he loves them because that's who God is. And we see this time and time in the Old Testament where the Israelites follow God, they're faithful, 
and he loves them. And then they turn and follow something else or rebel, and God still loves them. He is still faithful to them. In fact, the word hesed is used in the Old Testament almost 250 times. We see it a lot in the Psalms. It's used to describe the vastness of God's loving character, like in Psalm 36, when the psalmist says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Again, keep in mind these are people who lived in the ancient Near East. There are no skyscrapers. There is no electricity. If you've even just been in the bush away from light pollution and a building to block the sky, you know how dark and vast it can look. That is the sky that these people were looking up to. A sky that would be hard to see where it began and ended. A sky that looked like it went on forever. And that's the, what they used to describe God's love. It's used in Psalm 145 to convey that God loves his people so much that he desires to rescue and save them. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow in anger and rich in love. You start to see that there's a pattern in how they they say this. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion to all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he hears their cry and saves them. This is God's particular love for his people, but it is available to all who call on him because he longs to save them. And I think my favorite is Jonah, because probably I feel a little bit like Jonah sometimes. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, right, Jonah gets told by God, you probably heard it in kids' church, Jonah gets told by God to go tell the Ninevites about God so that they can repent. And Jonah says, I don't want to do that. So he runs away and gets swallowed by the big fish. But then ultimately, he gets spit out and he returns to God, eventually goes to the Ninevites, eventually shares with them, they repent, and Jonah's mad. At the end of Jonah, the reason he gives that he's mad at God is, he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He was mad because he knew the character of God would save the people he didn't want to see saved. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this pattern of God committing himself to his people no matter how often they disobey and no matter how many times they turn from him. And we even see him extending it to the people who are outside of the covenant to bring them in to his covenant. As the Jesus Storybook Bible says, in spite of everything... God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God binds himself to act towards them with Hesed. And he is utterly faithful to his commitment. To put it another way, our hope that God will love us to the uttermost and forever is not based on our ability to follow his commandments, but rather his ability to continue being God. It's not only God's love for us, so this is where Hesed gets kind of cool to me. Hesed became 
an important part of Jewish identity. So to the Israelites, Hesed wasn't just about God's love for them. It became part of an obligation for how you were to love other people. So in Jewish culture, you, would to, you were to act with Hesed to other people in the covenant community, which meant you were to be bound by loyalty, to be bound by faithfulness, to be bound by love and care, not because anyone in your community was worthy or not because they were cool or not because they needed it even, but simply because they were a member of the, the covenant. We see this in Micah 6, 8, when God says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the verse, mercy is hesed. Love hesed. Love other people with hesed. It was love in action for other Israelites, simply because they were also God's people. And I think that's something that translates in the New Testament when we're called to love others because God loved us first. That is a result of God's unfailing love towards us, is acting to, out of a committed love to other people. Imagine what our church would look I see it in our church, but imagine what our church would look like if everyone operated in that way. That we just cared for one another, not because we had anything in common, not because even we come to the same congregation, but simply because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We see it in Ruth, with Ruth and Naomi. That's the word that's used with Ruth and Boaz. But one of my favorite ways it's used is when, after Saul and Jonathan die in 2 Samuel 9, David says, is there anyone in Saul's household that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And that kindness is the word hesed. Is there someone that I can show loyal, devoted love to simply because he is related to my friend? So this word hesed is rich and beautiful and so much bigger than our understanding of the word love. It's God's love for his people and it's God's love through his people. But the thing is, because the character of God is the same, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he chose out of his hesed to continue to save his people all the way to Jesus on the cross. It is his, his hesed, his committed, devoted love that is demonstrated on the cross. It's his faithfulness to remember his people, to be good to those who cry out to him and to remain faithful no matter what, that motivates God to send his son to the cross. God's devoted love committed to rescuing and saving people. 1 John 4 reminds us of that when he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So I want to unpack three truths about this incredible Hesed love. The first one is this. It's an essential love. It's a foundational love. It's, this is who God is, not just what he does. And when you understand this, it really, really will transform your relationship with him and with other people. You see, the problem is we, we, we tend to say this. I love you because. 
I love you because you're good looking. I love you because you make me laugh. I love you because you're kind to me. And that's a conditional love. The implication being that if you're no longer good looking or no longer funny or no longer kind, you'll stop loving that person. Now, I think we as a church understand that God doesn't love us like that. We, we understand it's not God loves me because I am good or because I go to church. We understand that. We've got that right. But this is the mistake that we often make. We often say something like this. God loves me because he is gracious. God loves me because he is kind. God loves me because he is forgiving. And that's also wrong. Because you're linking God's love to one of his other attributes. And you've got to understand this. Learn to say this. Because God loves me, dot, dot, dot. Because God loves me, he is gracious. Because God loves me, he is forgiving. Because God loves me, he is kind. Because God loves me, I am chosen and precious in his sight. Because God loves me. That's his essence. That's his being. He just loves you. He doesn't love you because of some intrinsic worth or significance or achievement of yours. He just loves you. So God didn't look at me, poor dad, and think, oh, I think one day poor dad might be a pastor in my church, so I better love him. He just loves me. Deuteronomy 7 says this. It's on the screen. The Lord did not set his affection on you, that's Israel, the Lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. So Israel was not impressive. Israel was insignificant compared to all the other nations. Uh, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, they were the impressive nations. They were the powerful nations. But, but Israel were tiny, insignificant, and powerless. Why did God choose them? Because the Lord loved them. That's the heart of our God. He, he chooses people who have no power, no prestige, no intrinsic worth. Why does he choose them? Because he loves them. See, the Gospels, our Lord Jesus Christ chose the blind, the broken, the lame, the lepers, the prostitutes, the poor, the powerless, the oppressed, the outcasts, people who had nothing to commend themselves just because he loved them. And it is liberating because it, it liberates you of any hint of pride. Why did God choose you? Because he loved you. It keeps you humble. It keeps you prayerful. It keeps you thankful. God chose me and you not because he saw anything amazing in us. It's just because he loved us. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, with a hesed love. I have drawn you with unfailing hesed. And I love that idea of God's hesed love drawing us to himself. It's a, the same word used in Genesis 37 when Joseph's brothers throw him into a pit and, and there's traders come by and they draw him out of the pit. That's the word used here, that God draws you to himself. You are helpless, you are hopeless, but God loves you and draws you to himself. 
I love the story of the, the father who's in the shopping mall with his young son who is a bit cranky and a bit irritable. And the father starts to make up this love song. And the father, he can't sing particularly well. It's out of tune. It doesn't rhyme. And he just starts to sing to his little, little boy saying, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. I'm so glad you're my son because I love you. And he walks around his shopping mall with his little toddler going, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. I'm so glad you're my son and I love you. And the father's putting the son into the car, strapping into his child seat. And the child says, Daddy, keep on singing that song to me. Keep on singing that song to me. And I just wonder whether there's people here tonight who need to invite God to keep on singing that love song over you. Because God's love song to you is, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. I'm so glad you're my child, and I love you. You are deeply, 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 deeply loved. And you may feel unloved. People might tell you that you are unlovable. No human being might regularly tell you that they love you. But please never believe that lie that you're not loved. Because God loves you. Ellie, God loves you. And James, God loves you. And Ali, God loves you. And James and Claudia, God loves you. And Jillian, God loves you. I, I could go around this whole church and say, God loves you. God loves you. I love what this Henri Newman says. Over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power. The greatest trap is self-rejection. When we've come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions, but the trap is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I'm hurt, offended, rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody, I am no good, I'm unlovable, I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. Because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls you the beloved. You have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I can't feel it right now, is that I am a chosen child of God. I am precious in God's sight. I am called the beloved from all eternity. And I am held safely in his everlasting, loving embrace. Because God loves you. That's his essential love. Number two is enduring love. Lamentations 3 says this. The hesed love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy, his hesed, never comes to an end. The new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The hesed love of the Lord never ceases. It, it never stops. It never runs out. It's not that, that God loved you 2,000 years ago at Calvary. It's not that God loved you five years ago. It's that God loves you every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. The song says, It's higher than the mountains I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through trial and the change. One thing remains, yes, one thing remains, 
Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. You must believe that, church. I know life isn't always easy. Sometimes you go through trials, tragedies, hurts, harms, heartaches, heartbreaks, moments when your family desert you, your friends fail you, seasons of sickness and sadness and suffering, and you've got to cling on to that God's love endures. It never runs out. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We've just said 26 times in Psalm 136, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. That word endures, it means constant, continuing to exist, never wavering. Here's what I found. Sometimes Christians tend to think that, that God's love for them goes up and down. And you wake up and think, oh, I think God loves me about 50% today or 30% today or 75% today. Now, God's love for you is 100%, 24-7, to the day that you die. God cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. When you stuff up, he loves you. When you sin, he loves you. When you're broken, he loves you. When you're hurting, he loves you. And when you're unfaithful, even then he loves you. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Paul poses this question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's asking that question. Perhaps something's going to happen to me. It's going to separate me from God's love. He says, shall trouble or hardship? He's pondering, like, what about the everyday trials of life? Maybe unemployment or maybe a, a debilitating disease, maybe sadness, maybe financial worries. Maybe something's going to happen to me that's going to mean that God is going to stop loving me. Verse 35, shall persecution Maybe if I'm attacked for being a Christian, ostracized and verbally abused, or, or the people out in the world right now who are not sitting in a church anywhere, they're in a prison cell for their faith, or the people being spat on and beaten and murdered tonight for being Christians, has God stopped loving them? And the answer is no. Shall famine or nakedness, when we lack life's basic necessities, has God stopped loving you? No. Or danger or sword when you face risks in life has God stopped? Like, no. These are the questions. Can something happen in your life, in your world, in the future that means that God is going to stop loving you? The answer is no, of course not. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That is God's enduring love. Never ceases. And this is the comfort Psalm 119, may your unfailing, may your hesed love be my comfort. I found, friends, that it's so helpful to look back on really difficult seasons of life and just to journal, just to write down all the ways that you have experienced God's enduring hesed love for you. Learn to see how he's loving you. That friend he puts in your life for that particular moment, that text that you receive with the truth about God that, that you couldn't really find that day, but someone else gave it to you. Uh, that, that truth that God carries every tear that you cry in the middle of the, the darkest of nights, and he catches them, and he holds you, and he loves you. Write them all down. Because there'll be, there'll be times in the future when you go through another trial, that you open that journal and go, okay, that's, that's God's love for me. God's love has never failed me. And I can stand here tonight and testify 
that God's enduring love has never, ever, ever failed me for the 34 years I've been a Christian. Psalm 90 says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, with your hesed love. And again, sharing personally, I, I found that before I have breakfast, before I go to the gym, before I make my kids breakfast, before I open my emails, just taking a moment at the beginning of each day just to reflect on God's enduring love, God's hesed love, and start to say, thank you, Lord God, for another day. Your mercy, your hesed love is new today. Thank you that today you're going to be with me constantly. You're never going to fail me. And at night time, look back on the way that his love has been with you. And here's the challenge. You know, one way that God often expresses his enduring love is through other people. And maybe that God might use you tomorrow or the next day or this week somehow to, to be the, the, the visible representation of his hesed love to somebody else. But you can only be that if you're alert and aware to where the Spirit might be leading you to, to show his hesed love to other people. So God's love is essential because God loves you. It endures, it never ceases. And then very briefly, it's eternal. That was a repeated phrase in Psalm 136. His love endures forever. That word forever means forever. No beginning, no end. God will never, ever, ever stop loving you. And I know forever love is hard to grasp because we've all experienced somebody who said, I love you, but then walked away from us. But God's not going to do that. Forever means forever. So before creation, before we existed, before there was any creation, God was hesed within the Trinity. And for all eternity, he'll be hesed. So never ever say, God does not love me. I'll finish with Romans 8. He says, I'm convinced. I've thought about it. I've rationalized everything. I've come to this. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate me and you from the love of God the hesed love that you find in the person of Jesus Christ. Now that's our security. That's our hope. So now that we know, just a, see just a glimpse that God abounds in love towards us and that that love is essential, enduring, and eternal, how do we respond? I think John 15 gives us a little bit of a key into that. John 15 is um, a passage that is Jesus's, some of Jesus' last words the night before he's about to die when he's talking to his friends. And he's just told them that he's the vine, they're the branches, and they're, they're just to abide in him. Just take up residency. And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I think when we realize God's amazing love, he just asks us to remain in it, to take up residency in it, 
to rest in his love. And when we do that, it changes us. And it frees us up to love him and to love other people. When we know that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love, we are free to follow him and obey him, knowing that when we inevitably mess up, he still loves us. If we simply rest and remain in his love, we are securely attached to him, and he will not let us go. This helps us understand that there is nothing that we can do for God to love us any less. But some of you may struggle with what I struggled as a self-righteous church kid and recognize that there is nothing we can do for God to love us anymore. See, I thought because I knew all the right answers and I did all the right things and I never missed a Sunday, and look, I'm a professional paid Christian, that God must love me best. But the truth is, he loves me as much when I've been in the pit as he loves me as much up on stage here. There is nothing that I can do to make him love me any more than he already does. He is not more pleased with me. And you might say, wait a minute, Betsy, you just said in verse 10, it says, tell us that we remit, when we remain in his love, when we keep his commands, then that's how we remain in his love. That sounds conditional. Well, stick with me for a second. Let's read Matthew 22 and another passage where Jesus is speaking. Someone says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's it. When we remain in, in God's love, we will love him and we will love the people around us. That's the freedom that's found in this Hesed kind of love. And when we encounter God... When we, anytime we encounter him, when we see him clearly, like hopefully tonight you saw his love, we're changed. And I hope tonight that you just caught a small glimpse of how much he absolutely adores you. And so tonight, instead of finishing with my prayer and my own words, I thought I would say again the words that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. So if you'll bow your head, I'm going to pray Paul's words that he prayed for the Ephesians for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.